There's no rules! Welcome back to the No Mulligans podcast. I'm Jack. This is <laughs> I'm Scott laugh here. Every time we do an opening. it's just like the first time. So, for a little context for those people who are like, "Why is Scott laughing?" The first <laughs> time we rebranded, I was like, "Scott, I'm not messing it up. I'm a professional." And he's like, "It's gonna be funny when you do." And and I was, was it the second or third one. No, it was the. I guess it was the second or the third one. But I yeah. came in and I was like, "Welcome to No Mulligans podcast." I'm Scott. This is Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just like, we're professionals. Come on now. I thought we were professionals. So yeah. anyway, the story's funny, but welcome. This is welcome. the uh, when you think you have it. Oh, that's right. Like you have it. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it was. That's when you've lost it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you guys being here. Uh, if you are a first-time listener, what's going on? Thanks for so much for listening. Welcome. And if you're uh, returning, you should already know what to do. You should know that you should uh, leave a five-star rating, follow the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, No Mulligans. And listen all the way to the end because you never know what we're going to give away. Because we've, we've done some pretty crazy giveaways in the yeah. past. I mean, we've done balls. We've done free lessons. We, uh, oh. Like all the way to the end. All, Don't yeah, listen yeah. to like, you know, okay, they're doing their closing. Sometimes in that closing right, right. is when um, I gave away, let's see, given away on the last giveaway we did, which was only a few podcasts ago. Um, gave away a couple dozen golf balls. You also gave away. Uh, remember when we did our big patio one? You gave away like a hundred lessons, like a hundred and fifteen lessons. Yeah, I gave away a bunch of lessons at that one. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was right, right around a hundred lessons if you showed up, which was awesome. Yep. But uh, oh, and one of the coolest ones that we did was um, one lucky winner got to hit the first ball out of the studio here Rob at Franklin Wilkin. Bridge. Rob, Rob Wilkin. Wilkin. Yep. So that was cool. So thank you, yeah. Rob, for listening to the podcast. So, but yeah, it, we're back. We are better than ever. We got the rebrand going. We got Tate on the boards here. Yeah, this buddy. is going to be, I think, one of our uh, first real legit podcasts of the rebrand. Like when you, you when you give me topics like this, yeah. I'm like, okay, we're we're going to deep dive into this one. Well, so we just I just got back from spring break. So yeah. by the time you hear this, it'll be two weeks removed. But yep. like, yep, when I pull away i actually do more thinking which is weird um i i, I live and breathe and eat this stuff mm-hmm. you know um so allowed me to do some reflecting and just yeah so but i think these podcasts are the reason why listeners listen obviously you know they they enjoy listening to the podcast and they like you know what we talk about but these are the real nitty-gritty like down to it why we do yeah. the podcast yeah well, this is a little bit of uh, this podcast is going to be a little bit like what we used to do with the um, going deep, going deeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, well, let's start it off. What are we talking well, about? Well, you know, um, now that I have Elijah on the team, and uh, many of you already know, Erica is going to be joining us this summer. Um, I don't. I think that might be the first time I've said that on the podcast. I oh, said we have somebody yeah. coming this summer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Erica Firehelm will be coming back to join us. Uh, she'll be our junior player director. Um, and we're probably going to reframe that name exactly, but she's going to be in charge of growing and developing our junior program. Director and, of Junior Development. Yeah, I think that's right. So we're we're excited about that, and um, we're excited she's coming back. I mean, she's got wonderful talents to give, um, and she's excited to bring them back here to the place that's invested in her so much. So, Great player, too. Yeah, she's, she's one of those players where if you guys are playing the gold tees out here at Franklin Bridge and she wants to play back with you and you're like, Haha, 
That's funny. Like she'll outdrive you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's one of the the best putters and probably one of the best green readers I've ever met. Um, for as little experience as she had when we first met. Yeah. Um. So we're excited to have her coming back on. Um. And you know, I was talking with the two of them about you know one of my core frustrations um, as a teacher and a coach and. I'm continuing learning new swing theories and learning about how other teachers do things and other developments. And I think it's necessary to continue to do that to kind of push and grow my education. Um, I believe I fix it really fast. Um, and I think I fix it in a way that's, that's permanent and fits your body's way of swinging the golf club. Um, but, um, and I keep it simple, but be key, key phrase being it's permanent. I think that a yeah. lot of people have experiences with other coaches where they just say, you know, let me go get a lesson from, you know, golf tech or, or wherever. And they just go in, they, you know, maybe their swing looks good on the range, looks good on the indoor sim. Maybe it's even good for the first nine holes that they play it, but afterwards it seems, seems to fade. Yeah. And, you know, I, I believe it's possible to fix the swing quickly and permanently. I, I believe it's possible to do that. I think you have to have uh, ongoing coaching. Uh, that's just our human nature, right, is to revert back to old habits. So to have somebody there to monitor you, I think, is critical. Um, so that's a whole other tangent to get into. But this was the text that I sent back and forth uh, with them. And I said, no need to reply. I just kind of wanted to let you know where I'm at. So I'll, I'll read parts of this to you. said, um, the single biggest frustration I have in teaching is getting people to see what I see in them. I know you can't make people see it. They have to choose. There are many times you feel completely and totally helpless. We can unpack each line if you wanted to. Uh, they ultimately have to decide. When you're nearly 15 years in and you're looking to improve your impact on people and leadership, you can't help but look inward, look deeper, and lean into those you trust. Um, so um, that's the first part of it. There's there's a second half of this that I'll mention. The part in the middle is just for us. But um, like that's that's the deal like i literally have um i have let's see one two i have three players right now that if their mindset will flip to where we want it and i've got them in training tools and it's growing the relationship too right they've got to go deeper enough like at the end of the day they don't fully trust what i'm telling them to do like no i doubt myself i was like no no no. you don't fully trust that my knowledge is correct about what i'm saying about you like i'm not just going to flippantly say you know, you're going to be great. I have a number of players that I teach that are really good that I don't think are going to be great. They don't have all the other things. And there's two or three of them right now, and if they're listening to this, they know who they are. Um, and it's like, would you just jump over? Like, just jump. Like, just mentally make the leap. Just decide, right? Stop trying and start just doing. And I know that that sounds easy, it's not easy, which is why it's the greatest frustration as a teacher and a coach. We can sit here and do all the mindset training we want. We can sit here and do all of that. It's an identity thing. They have to switch identities. Am I this player that I once was before I met him? Or am I this player that he sees me as? And everything that I do leads me towards that. Even my mistakes lead me towards that. What are some things that people can do if they find themselves in that position or they're self-reflecting and they go, man, maybe I am that kind of person. What are some things that you can do to get the ball forward? Because speaking from somebody who has made that identity shift in other areas of life as well, like you're right. It is not easy to do. 
Uh, it could be the million-dollar question. I get that, but... It is the million-dollar question. If I had the answer, I wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah. I might yeah. talk myself into it sure. while we're talking here. I, sure. don't, I don't know. Um, but it's... And some of them, it takes a number of years to get into it. Um, you know, I was... To kind of be full discretion... I don't know if I want to go here or not. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think we can go here. Um, for those of you who know me, you know what my hourly rate is. It's not cheap. It's expensive. Um, I know I'm expensive. I've had a hard time with that for a long time. People think I'm just money gouging. I'm, like, I'm, I'm not. I'm actually worth that. The fact that my lesson books are full for the next two and a half weeks, three weeks, tells you that. Well, it's also simple supply and demand too, right? Well, like if the demand goes up, you yeah. got to... But, increase the price. But to me, it's it's more than that, right? Like you yeah. can go somewhere and pay sixty dollars an hour for instruction, and you'll actually probably end up spending more money yeah. than you will coming to see me. Fair. Been doing it for a long time. The gentleman I wanted to teach under taught me how to fix it quick and permanent. Like that's that's what I learned under. That was my pedigree, right? Um, and my students will attest to that. Um, but is <sighs> first, you have to know whether you are that person or not. And I don't know that uh, I don't know that you can say that. I really don't. Um, I think uh, I think it requires somebody else to make that statement, and they must be a qualified individual to make that statement. Not somebody who's been teaching for five years. Not your high school coach who thought you could do it. You know, not your parent. I mean, I guess Justin Thomas's dad might be able to speak to it because his level of professionalism as a PJ golf professional, but, um, is you have to have somebody be able to speak that into existence and actually be able to see what the threads are. Then you have to get to work at those things, the specific things in the game component, the technique, the shot selection, the certain controls, distance, et cetera, et cetera, flight, whatever it may be. Uh, you have to specifically be driving at that. Then the mind piece, it's a little bit of chicken and the egg, which one comes first. I think the mind begins to fix all the others. But like, if you see yourself as somebody who could be one of the best players in the world, how do those people act? What are the things that they do? Um, and this really kind of came into fruition for me and really started as I was reflecting on it this week because Rebecca and I don't have Netflix and we finally started listening watching the full swing documentary and Rebecca doesn't love golf, but she's good at it. And she became more intrigued by it. And I actually really like the documentary. Um, but it really just got me thinking of what are the things that they do? Look at them. Look at Fitzpatrick. The dude's tracking every shot that he hit. When you're done, you have a bad round. You go to the next you go work on the next thing. Like you go back out to the driving range and you work on it more. The number of players that I see in college right now, it's astronomical. The number of people in college where they finish a bad round and then they just go sit and they lick their wounds. It's not what Justin Thomas does. It's not what a lot of those LPGA girls are doing. I can't guarantee it's not what the quarter sisters are doing. They're going right back out to that driving range and they're hitting more golf balls. And they're going to think about it that night and they're going to think about it the next morning. Like that's, that's the push. You know, that's how you get there. And there's different ways of doing it. And so, like, are you really willing to go there? And then the mental piece is, I have, I have one young lady right now who, um, you remember when I told you about uh, Austin? 
Yep. And we'll talk about Austin here in just a second. But, yep. like, I can't tell you what it was about him. But I was like, he's going to he's gonna shoot in the 50s. I remember we had he was shooting in the mid-70s, mid-upper 70s when we started. Had taken two or three lessons I'd known him for about two or three months. And we were on the putting green at Timberline. Some of you have already heard this story, so I apologize for I'm repeating. Um, but I looked at Austin, and with only you know a handful of rounds in the 60s, I said, you're going to shoot 59 one day on the putting green, out loud. There were a couple of kids on his team that overheard us. They're like, Pfft, whatever. Well, last year, late 2021, shot 58. I don't... I don't know why I can say that. What he did, though, when I said that, he immediately stepped into that identity. Partly because he already had that belief. He just didn't have the guidance. But he fully stepped into it. When he and Micah Stangby, um, who's at Kentucky State, and they were teammates for a little while at Arkansas Tech, when Micah and him come here for lessons, they're my two best students across the board. Gosh, nope. and if, if you get a chance to walk up on one of those lessons, it is different. It is different. It's entirely different. There's a reason why if you've ever walked, if you've ever done like a stadium tour or whatever it is and just walk into a professional locker room, like you just entirely you understand. Well, first of all, you don't understand why it feels different. But then when you see them practice, for example, you know, Micah and Austin, you're just like, there is something different. I'm done with their entire lesson. Driver, irons, wedges, putting in 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. All of it. We're done. And they'll show up struggling just a little bit, a little off, tighten it up, and they immediately change it. Next swing, boom, done, changed all the way. They may slip a little off here and there. It's like, no, I need more, need a little less, need more, need a little less, need it here. Uh, Just kind of nudge it. They'll immediately go out to play, and they'll put it into action right out of the gate, no questions asked. Total identity step, right? Like, I know this is going to work. I believe it's going to work. I trust Scott that it's going to work. I'm totally committed to this no matter what. I know it's going to work. We're just going to do this. How much of that would you say is a mental identity that they have versus a physical talent that they have as well? I think it's both. Uh, I totally um, know, I agree that it's both. They, do you they have play, like an idea of the proportion? I know it's a tough question. Uh that's why I would I'm probably the co-host here. I would probably <laughs> say if you're making me put a number on it, I'd probably put 75% identity, 25% ability, and mm. that may be low. Sure. It may be more like I hate saying it, it's 90% mental. It's not it's not mental. Like that's a that's such a basic word that makes us look at the wrong thing. Yeah. It's an identity. It's a who am I question. It's not a what can I do question? That's a different thing entirely. I'm not even conversing in the mental space or the sports psych space. I am in the psychology, personality, spirituality space. Who am I as a player? And if you want to know the difference between really, really freaking good and great, watch the Netflix documentary Full Swing with Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka side by side. There's no question <laughs> that Scotty Scheffler is 10 times the player as Brooks Kepka is because his identity is not in his performance. Brooks Kepka is entirely in his, and he has no support structure. Scott Scotty Scheffler has an entire support structure because he's totally secure in who he is mm. as a person. 
first and foremost, second as a golfer. You could even make the argument that Brooks Kepka is physically a better specimen than Scotty Scheffler, right, too. Absolutely, you could make that case. And in many different ways and different fronts. And if he had the same structure of identity that um, Scotty has, Scotty has, I think you'd see that. Yeah. Now, you remember, um, and you can get really good with poor identity. If you work crazy freaking hard, let's take a. Let's not take that he quick, doesn't have confidence. Like three to four golfers that you can think of that have a that have that kind of mental psyche and and complete identity of who they are. Like Scotty Scheffler is a really good one. Yeah, I think um, I think Tiger obviously was a good one, but I think because he was trying to prove that who he was was worth it to everybody else. And honestly, he, he didn't even care. He did, yeah, he was just tough as nails, too, yeah. the, the mindset-wise. Well, who's another one that you think holds like a similar identity to Scheffler? Do you think Spieth in his, I dare, dare call it a prime, when he was winning that much? Um, I think... Or Rory, Spieth, even? I, I think Finau is really? really secure in his identity. If you watch, if well, you watch the documentary... You really get to understand, but it doesn't mean that it was a performance enhancer on Finau's part, and you'd understand that if you watch the full swing. No, um, I, I think I think the I'm I think kind that, of relating it directly to performance. Yeah, I, I would say too. Um, Finau Finau also has kids and a family. Like Scotty doesn't have that yet, so he sure. hasn't had that struggle. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where does my attention draw? Yeah, yeah. And and Finau has both. I don't think. Finau's identity is tied up in his performance. Mm. Um, I think it's just a fight of trying to balance those things. Like, am I my best with my when I put my attention on my family? Am I not? And it's just like, where where am I in that? I think he's still trying to discover where that needs to be, but I think he knows who it is that he wants to be because of yeah. his his mom died and right, like, right. He has was it five kids? You know, so he has. You know, that's really important to him. He wants both. And I think he, that's his question is like, can I have both? I he, want both. Here's crazy, and I think this relates to the topic and also full swing. What do you think about Joel Damon? I really like Joel. I, I think he's um, – Specifically in the context of the documentary too. Um, as far as being secure yeah, with his we, identity. Yeah, we got to see that. Um, this is this is going to be an interesting take given if you've watched the documentary. For those who haven't watched, let me give you some some context here. Joel's mother died of cancer when he was in high school. Not only that, um, Joel also was diagnosed with testicular cancer as well, That's and correct. he and he beat it. And so because of that, he's gone through this life of, of uh, just trying to wrangle with these traumas that he has. But because of that, his wife came out and said, "I think Joel is probably the, one of the most secure men." That I've yeah. ever met because he's gone through I, such traumas. I, I think he has golf in its proper perspective. Yeah. As does Scotty. What's interesting is Scotty has that without the massive trauma. True. True. Which is really hard to get to. I yeah. think. Um. So, you know, um, playing bad in golf obviously upsets him, but like, yeah. it's he's it's not lucky the end to of the be world, alive, right? Yeah. And he wishes yeah. his mom was around. Now, what do you think about um Morikawa too? That's another contrast of somebody who's just obsessed with performance. Yeah, I don't. I think he's. I would put him in the middle, given that I don't know that I have enough information on him. Sure. Like they, they really haven't gone as deep with him as through the episodes we've gotten through at least, because he's kind of like woven within multiple episodes. Mm -hmm. Um. So, I don't. I don't know where I'm at with him. 
Um, what about just from observing his game as well? Uh, I think there's a little bit of struggle on the performance part. I think Rom, uh, his identity is very much in his performance, but I think he's able to kind of rein it in at times. Yeah, which I which I think is is interesting. Um, I honestly think Rory is very secure in his identity, and the reason I say this is because. Uh, I can't remember what year it was. We could look it up. Um, but when he won the Players' Championship and then went went on to win the uh, Tour Championship, there was a late-night interview, not on the mainstream stuff, with Rory. And he said, he got asked the question, um, you know, what's this new mental game you've been working on? Da, 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 da. And he said, it's not really any of that. He said, I just finally realized whether I shoot 65 or 85 like the people that are going to love me are still going to love me no matter what. And I turned to several of my students that same week and said, look out, Rory's going to be dangerous. And that's when you started to see him climb back out of that struggle that he went through, which was he realized golf is not his identity. It's just something that he does. And so he's able to speak out boldly about live and about the golf ball rollback because he's free to be him. Now he's also free to be wrong and change his mind, right? He's free to do that because he's secure in who he is. And you only get that hard. though when you're secure with who you are and you have a support system around you. That's, Absolutely. that's good. If you're isolated by yourself and if at least the way they portray it in the Netflix documentary, like Kepka comes back and sits on his hands and is kind of withdrawn in like Morikawa goes and shoots hoops and hangs out and, Kepka's sitting nice with his pretty stuff and his pretty girl. Like, that's that's it. And he's sitting with his sad feelings. And you'll notice the separation of the parents. Like, you know, there's, we get, you can get into the relational dynamics of families. Like, because that affects you. Um, you look how tight knit Tony's family is. Kepka doesn't have that. You look how tight Spieth's family is. JT's family. Scheffler's family. Rom's got some unity there in his family. Like, there's, there's, he's isolated. He's by himself. So I would, I would. That's hard to, um, to zoom out here, and we've we've kind of talked about the contrast between, um, Scheffler and, um, good night, Brooks. Yep. I would love to then zoom out and, and take a look at uh, another like live versus PGA pair who might not have had as much success, but also I think would be an excellent case study here. Poulter versus uh, Finau. You talk Ooh. about two other different guys who also have family at the center of their life, but making completely different decisions. And I'm curious what you think about because it, it seems to me like they're the same guy, but Tony has a little bit of a positive twist on it, and Pulse has a little bit of a negative twist. Yeah, on it. I think some of that is like culture that they grew up in too. You've got a little more like dark humor out yeah. of out of that the Brits that Euro European yeah. kind of mentality, which is you know, I think part of that's that way. I uh, I became more of a Poulter fan after watching it. I'll yeah. say that. Okay. Uh, I was intrigued by that. Um, you know, him switching to live, like, it was a decision for his family. He was struggling and not making it to the Masters. Like, that's, you know, I want to help support my family. Well, I'm not going to fault the guy for that. He's on the downfall. I was going to say, on the tail end of your career, too. It's yeah, like, tough. you know, well, am I going to go to the senior tour? Like, do I want to play that long? I think you're going to see maybe not the death of the senior tour. We talked about this. Yeah, like, yeah. 
uh, in some older podcasts, I, I think you'll see the senior tour eventually die out, you know, um, heaven forbid for my guys like Scott Spector <laughs> trying to get out there right now. Scott's doing well, by the way, side, awesome. sidebar. Um, I think he's, he's gotten financial ship. He's got financial dollars. He's got some backing for about two years. So he's going to make a run doing a lot of Monday cues right now. The nice thing is on the senior tour, you Monday queue in, you're in. Yeah. And there's no cut. So, paid, yeah, baby. Cash, yeah. so um, he's, his birdie count is up where he wanted to be. Just a few little hiccups here and there. And some of that's just, you know, you got to get comfortable playing out there. So I'm excited about him. Um, I don't know. It's um, identity is the right phrase. And it's the biggest frustration I have. Um, and when they don't make the leap and the jump, you search for a thousand different ways to try and reach him. You call and talk to him different. You try and change how you how you relate to him. You try to ask better questions. You check in more often. Like you try to help them be the catalyst to their own growth instead of you doing all of it for them. And some you feel like you need to do more for for a period of time, and so you do that. And you learn how to pull away, and then you go, "Well, was that the best thing to do? Should I stayed in more? Should I pulled out more? Like pulled back more? Like what? What do you?" It's tough, but one of there. I excuse me. Wow, let me. And sometimes convince, you end up you end up thinking. My I don't. Thoughts. I don't know if I did any of it right. Well, there's this kind one of get to. quote that I've really taken to heart recently when it comes to um, when it comes to to my friends and when it comes to me. Not not necessarily like giving unwarranted advice, but something that's super powerful that I think you you touched on a little bit is never take away a man's own epiphany. Because there is so much power right. in having that for yourself and then having that propel you to a change. I think it doesn't mean as much when it comes from either uh, a coach or a friend or somebody. Even if it's the exact same advice, let them find it on their own in, in a guided way that maybe is you know getting them to that, to that destination. Well, but that is super powerful, and I think it's probably the route to change. Yeah. Well, and here's – Here's the other thing that you have to be careful of when you try to take on that weight, right? So mm. like your pack gets really heavy. Yeah. And when you try to take on that weight, if their mentality isn't where it needs to be, they can pull you down they there. You can get overwhelmed. And so this is kind of my second point on here was the other fight is not giving up on them. Mm. It's in all caps so easy to do and it's so tempting. No greater honor than to give all of yourself to helping others and fighting every day to help them see and come into the belief you have in them. But, like, that's me encouraging myself as I send that text to Elijah and Erica. It's just, like, there are times you just want to be like, well, if you're not going to jump, like, why am I continuing to fight? Why? Why am I doing this? Like, come on. Like, it's not even about me. Well, make the jump. Make the leap. You can do it. And so I think... One of the things I've challenged myself to do is um, I have two players in particular right now that are relatively new students. They're both college players. Uh, one's a guy, one's a girl. And um, I'm really pushing on them to step into the new identity. And I'm trying to take them both into a really hard place. The guy, what I did with him, he's 16th out of 17 on his team. Uh, they have a bunch of carryovers with COVID. So that's why their team's so big. Um, he was just in the wrong place. I'm glad he came to see me. And he was, I was finishing up with the phone with Scott Spector and he's hitting golf balls and he's hitting a two iron and he's hitting it terrible. I was like, all right, I want you to hit a high hook with a two iron. Can't do it. He starts trying to like be technical with it. Can't do it. Can't do it. I was like, come on, 
Hit a high hook. Come on. You can't think it. Come on. What do you got to do? It's like, well, the path's got to go that way, and the face has to go left. Okay, so you have knowledge of what the club's supposed to do. Great. Do it. Come on. He's hitting these chunks. I was like, don't chunk it. How do I not chunk it? I don't care. Figure it out. Like, I'm pushing on him hard. I was like, you got a year left. I need you to do it now. Not 10 years from now. I need you to do it now. Not three months. Not 10 swings. Not 100 swings. Not 10 days. Like, I need it right now, right here. Because when we step up, you got to do that. And I spent seven hours with him over two days. And... I'm confident he made that leap, and I looked at him. I said, if you want to get to where you want to get to, you need to get your butt down here and work this summer because I'm not done yet, and you need to be around Micah, Daniel Martin, uh, Erica, and some other players, like and Elijah. Like You need to be in this place where you can make the jump. And the girl I'm trying to get here, she needs to be here so that she can be she can get that switch flipped. That's what I was going to ask you uh, to kind of round – round out what we're talking about this is probably my last question but like when it comes to how hard you can push on a player hmm. that i feel like has a lot of dynamics around it because at the same time just like you mentioned you don't want to tear them down in order to bring them up but at the same time too there's value in pushing when you're allowed to do that yeah and i know that you're really good at reading that so that's why i'm asking the question is like when can you push and how hard? Well, the best phrase I've heard to help with this is you have to have relational equity. Yeah. Um, you can tell some somebody something that's true, but if you don't have the relationship bandwidth, you may, you may have known them for 10 years and be close friends with them, but they if they don't trust you with their innermost struggles. Yeah, there's a depth to it. There's a depth. Yeah. If if they will take you into the deepest deepest recesses of their mind, if they'll let you take them there. Um if they'll let you in there and you don't make a wreck of it and you're gentle with it, then you can blast them pretty much as hard as you want. Mm -hmm. As long as you don't tear down their character. Yeah. Now when I'm telling him yeah, like, yeah, come yeah, on, yeah. do it now. I'm not attacking his character. What are you waiting for? I'm just attacking his, are you going to do it or you're not? What are we, what are we doing here? Now, How badly do you want this? When I hear this, because I know that this is the relationship that you and I have. And by the way, I'm normally not this way. Like, right. you know this about me. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah. becoming more like this. Totally, totally. And you only do it, like, for those of you who are listening are like, I've never had a lesson with Scott. You're not going to get this right. Scott when, when you come and get a lesson with him. But, I one guy was this way with recently. Which really? Is, but, like. But that's rare. Some, You'd say that's a rarity. Some people like will quickly give you that relational yeah, equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a lot to do with their personality, and so if they'll give you that relational bandwidth right out of the gate, you can go there. Most people, you can't. I'd say that's a rare trait. That's very rare. I would say out of a hundred students, I'd be lucky to get two of them like that that do it in that first meeting. Yeah. And this kid I had had a conversation with way back. We went to the same high school, mm -hmm. so there's some, there's some already with there and he's got one year left and he's in that desperation mode of like i need help right so like sometimes relational equity is just forced yeah yeah we have no time okay let's get to work i i will say that uh like you and i have this relationship and and the thing that i'll say for clarification to uh everybody out there who's listening is that when you uh, this is I want to do one more disclaimer to this because I feel like <laughs> in the past couple years, there has been this trend across 
frequently, or I'd say Western culture, yep. that you know, of being too soft and of like really, you know, coddling people and and getting getting yep. to that point, right? And I'll say this, like personally, I don't identify that, and only I don't identify with that. Jeez, uh, how do I even say this? I don't identify with that. I say that to say that you and I have that relationship to where I will I give you permission to be that right. hard on me right. because I know you have my best interests in mind. Correct. There's a difference when you don't have that relational equity and then you go like that and it's like, well, dude, like screw you. I don't want to be here anyway. And just because you have their best interests in mind doesn't mean that you have the relational equity. They have yeah. they're the ones who open that yes. door. Yes, exactly. You can have somebody's a parent can have their kid's best interest in mind, but if right. the kid doesn't have the relational equity with the parent, then that's not at least 100%. in that space, then that's not there. Hundred percent. So um but with with this other player, uh one of the other players I have, I was like, look, I want you to let it all like I can see the frustration building. You've learned how to bottle it, but you don't know how to you don't know how to channel it yet. Mm. You bottle it and it's destroying you. And so <clears throat> this is this is not my take. I said, when we go out and play and practice, like if you come down here this summer and we go out and play, or next time you come down for a lesson, we're going to go play. And I'm going to intentionally put you in situations that are really challenging for you, and I'm going to try and break you. And like when you break and you feel that frustration rise, I don't care like – this person's not going to curse. It's not in their nature. So you're not going to hear F-bombs and things like that. It's like, I don't care if you snap a club. I'll replace it. You'll have it in a week. I don't care if you tomahawk a club. I need you to let it out one time. All you've learned to do is bottle it and you're afraid of it. I need you to let it out one time and know that I've got control over it. You may not yet, but I need you to learn to let it out so that you can learn how to let it leak out and channel it. Right now, all you know is bottling it. You don't know how to use it, and it's using you. What you need to do is let it out so that I can channel it. If it's always in, you don't know how to move it. Yeah. And so that's probably one of the hardest ones. Um, we'll have to get Erica on here sometime let her share her story of me doing this with her. Um, but um, I think one of the best compliments I've had as a teacher and coach is you go into those dark spaces with students and walk them out. The challenge, though, is they have to let me in there, and when I walk them out, I don't walk. I run, and I run as hard as I can. And like, if I got to shoulder you on my back, I will. But you better move your feet. I think that's the re- like the sole reason why I feel like I've 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 well, other than the fact that you're a great friend, but <laughs> just had this relationship with you for as yeah. long as I have, because I feel like there is a stigma of golf professionals and golf coaches where you just go and they just give you the technicalities and then they just leave you with it kind of deal. And yeah. it's like, I, I don't, that's not what I want in a coach. I feel like I can, if I want that, hell, I'll just go onto YouTube and search everything for me. But like, I think the thing with you is you take this holistic view of the student and really try and maximize their potential based on the resources that they have. However, yeah. if they don't even have those resources, you push them to go and find them for themselves. Right. And it's like you're not only making a great golfer, you're also making a great person who's able to channel this mental headspace and get you in the right space. Well, and I think I think one of the places for me is um, in my conversation with Brooks, you know, with, I never got to my point with my rates being high. Um, mm. Brooks challenged me to like, like if people keep coming to you and they keep wanting to be mentored by you. You have other PGA golf professionals from around the country. I've got a guy from Colorado coming in. He's already a top teacher in the country. He's coming in in 
uh, three weeks, bringing some of his students. He wants to learn how to do different things that I do. And Brooks looks at me and says, if all of these things are happening, then what does that mean? I said, it must be true. And like, it's based on real evidence. It's not based on my opinion, right? Because my opinion was it wasn't good enough. And I think one of the things that I have to start showing is me showing that push like I did on this young man who came down a few weeks ago is me showing that push is me stepping in and saying, I know we can get there. And there's no doubt in my mind we're going to get there. I think I've been a little lax at times on that. And I haven't been assertive enough in my lack of confidence in myself or their lack of confidence in them has bled into me and I've struggled to push it onto them. And so that's where I'm always trying to turn inward, which is where I leave you with Austin. Um, this year, and this is, you know, we always ask for you to go and rate the podcast and do all those sorts of things. Yeah. If you're a regular listener, look, we do this for free, right? Sure, we've got some sponsors who've helped us out a little bit, but that's nothing more than to get us some equipment that we need. Other than that, that's really about it. And um, this year I'm putting my money where my mouth is with Austin. Austin Jean's one of the best players. He's got nine course records. Um, you'll see us post a link to his resume below. And he needs dollars. His family doesn't have the dollars. He's working a full-time job. I need him to not work a full-time job. He's getting paid decently well, but I need him to play and practice. He shows up to golf courses asking what the course record is, and, he's, and he can beat it. And that's a unique trait. So we're going into Monday cues. Rebecca and I, we're st- we got a young family. We're trying to grow up, and we watch the full swing podcast or full swing documentary together. And we're like, how can we help him? Like, if we actually believe that he's that good, let's give him a chance. So we're paying for his Monday cues. We're doing one a month. They're expensive. They start at five hundred bucks. Um, PJ Tours, a different deal. We're doing the Corn Ferry ones because it's a one-in. You just pass that first level and you're in. Uh, so, But if you'd like to help him, this is what I'm challenging. If you have the ability or you know somebody who does, I've told, we've said it a thousand times on this podcast, it's a dumb decision. But I believe he's got the chance to do it. It's important for me to put my money where my mouth is, which imparts the confidence in him. The other thing I did with this kid uh, from this other school, I gave him an envelope. Um, to t- bounce off of this, I'll finish with this. What I gave him was an envelope, and it was a score that he was going to shoot by a certain date. And when he shoots the score, he'll call me, and he'll get to open it. I believe if he can get enough rounds in, he's up in a northern state, but if he can get enough rounds in, he'll shoot this number, and he's never shot under par before. It's an under par score, and it starts with a six. Like, he will shoot this number. That was a statement of, you're going to do this. It's the same statement that I'm giving to Austin by putting money behind him until I can get other people to help that are more financially well off than I am to be able to help. So, like, y'all can do hard things, right? That was one of my big things that I've said. And that goes for me, too. I needed Brooks to tell me that. Not Kepka, Our owner, Brooks West. <laughs> I needed him to tell me that. Like, Scott, it must be true. And it's not just because we're in Williamson County. There's dozens of other golf instructors people could go yeah. to. Yeah. It's it's because it must be true. Y'all can do way harder things than you think you can. So when somebody asks you to do something, whether it be in the gym, whether that be at work, whether that be in parenting, being a spouse, whatever it is, being a child, 
whatever that may be, like you can do things that are way harder than you think they, than you can. You just need to jump, change your identity. Who are you? You're not the same crappy person you always were. I just always forget. I just always, if you keep saying that, that's all you're going to be. That's hard. I get it. And it's hard for me to step into that. And I think it's one of the reasons why we're having so much success this year is because I've taken ownership over what Brooks has said about me and helped. He actually didn't tell me. Like, he led me to the answer. And so I've. he's like, you know, we can make some shifts and some changes. I said, look, if you tell me it's true, I'll jump. Don't give a man his own epiphany. He sounds like he did that for you. <laughs> he did. He did. And. It's sitting right in the bag. If you look over Jack's shoulder, you probably can't see it on the actual podcast, but there's a little red post-it note yeah. that he wrote. Those are It's his writing my words. It must be true. So if you have somebody telling you something about that, you know, it must be true, step into that. What does it look like to be the person who is smart, who is talented, who can learn things, who can take on challenges? If somebody that you trust and who's qualified to say that is saying that about you, you should jump. If you true. don't have any of those people around you, go find them. I love that. We're going to end with that. And uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in and listening and uh, subscribing, leaving this podcast five stars. We really appreciate it. Uh, we want to thank Srixon as well for sponsoring the podcast and uh, sponsoring the podcast. Sponsoring. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, giving us the tools to succeed at That's our right. games and shoot those low scores. So we appreciate you, Srixon. So uh, from Scott, Jack, and uh, Tate behind the board here in the studio at Franklin Bridge. We'll see you on the next one. It's been the No Mulligans Podcast. Peace. There's no room.